And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, a proud part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. I am J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. And on this show, I read and discuss comics featuring Marvel Comics, Blind Lawyer by Day, Superhero by Night, Daredevil. And we have reached the penultimate issue of the Frank Miller run on the title, and the entire run has really been leading up to this. The Hand is making a big move, and they plan on resurrecting Matt's former girlfriend turned assassin turned corpse, Elektra, and only Daredevil, the Black Widow, and Stone, a member of the Chase, can stop them. And that's where we pick up with Daredevil number 190, the January 1983 issue. And this features a cover by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen, as has been the custom, showing Electro's shadow-covered form in the foreground, floating within ribbons of visible energy as Daredevil's shocked face is superimposed on the background. I gotta say, the colors really make this cover work. The layout is noticeably familiar. It echoes Daredevil number 181. That was Electra's death issue. And the symbolism isn't lost on me as we're looking at the issue in which she is potentially being resurrected. But it's that correspondent that kind of makes this cover a little bit boring because we've seen it before. And yes, there's a great correlation between the two issues. It's just, we've been here, we've done this. We've had a string of really noticeably iconic covers and this one just kind of dips a little bit. The weakness here is that the cover doesn't necessarily attract somebody who hasn't been following the book and the storyline. On the other end, it barely rewards the people who have been along for the ride. But it's all led to this, and that is a story entitled Resurrection, written and penciled by Frank Miller, with inks and colors by Klaus Janssen and lettered by Joseph Rosen. If you want to find this reprinted, you'll see it in the Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 3 trade paperback, the Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Omnibus, which is my preferred reading method, and the Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Volume 3 trade paperback from later down the road. And of course, Comixology and Marvel Unlimited is always available there. And diving into our story here, the issue begins with a prologue that follows Elector through the cold of the Arctic as she comes to a sharp cliff and attempts to climb, but ultimately fails. She falls to the ground where she is found by Stone, and he takes her to the training grounds of the Chaste, where she is taken in by Stick to train despite Stone's protest that she is unclean and unprepared and did not make the impossible climb. A year passes with Elektra training with the Chaste, and Stick decides that Elektra carries too much darkness. She is, in his words, unclean. So she is told to leave, and she returns to her original sensei. After the consultation with her sensei, Elektra decides that she will prove herself by infiltrating the hand. And sure enough, she does get recruited, but her first test is to kill an unseen opponent in a dark pit. Now, Elektra does kill her combatant, but realizes far too late that the man who has died at the end of her sigh is her sensei, and Elektra's corruption begins. The story then jumps to the present day, where Daredevil, Stone, and the Black Widow try to stop the hand from stealing Elektra's body, and they utterly fail. Elsewhere, a mutiny is attempted on the Kingpin by an associate named Injun Joe. That's directly from the book, not my words. And the coup attempt fails, but Kingpin realizes that he is losing his grip on his empire. A desperate Daredevil goes to the Kingpin for help in finding the hand, and Fisk grants that favor if Daredevil does a favor for him in return. 
Daredevil agrees and attacks Injun Joe's hideout, handing the criminal over to the police and learning the location of the Hand, which is an old church. At the church, the Hand are in the process of trying to resurrect Elektra when Dee Dee, Stone, and Widow attack and the huge fight erupts and the church goes up in flames. Matt senses a heartbeat within Elektra and stops in mid-fight to try and channel energy to her, but he doesn't know how and cannot revive her. As the battle is looking bleak, a bunch of gangsters storm the church and gun down the hand, and Fisk arrives and explains his reasoning for saving Daredevil to the man without fear. As the Kingpin explains it, Daredevil fights Fisk and gives the factions of the criminal empire a common enemy, keeping Fisk in control. Fisk tells Daredevil that they are the real power in the city, and they are partners to a certain extent. Meanwhile, Stone is still within the burning church and senses the darkness within Elektra has gone. And he is weary and he places his hands on Elektra's body. When Widow and Matt go back into the church, they find Stone's empty robes and Elektra's body has vanished. We wrap up the issue with an epilogue, back in the cold arctic wasteland where we began the issue, and a figure climbs a sheer cliff and reveals herself to be the white-clad Elektra. And so our issue ends and I will be talking about all of it in full right after this podcast promo break. I will be right back. To confront the ultimate killers, I must construct the ultimate alias. Hey, who is that lady? I think she could fly. To combat the murderers who destroy my family, crush my own life on their way to consuming everything. I must become a greater, more fearsome destroyer. Hey, man, somebody killed this lady. To track down the animals who prey on the innocent, I must stalk them first. I am no longer their quarry. I am the Huntress. New Huntress Podcast, coming to you in 2019. Visit thehuntress89.blogspot.com for new episodes. Go to the Facebook page at Huntress Podcast. Go to Twitter, The Huntress Podcast. And you can always find episodes of The Huntress Podcast at rightonnetwork.com. And go to Apple iTunes, where this podcast is a joint venture with the Helena Bertinelli Podcast and the Cassandra Kane Batgirl Podcast. So go to Apple Podcasts, the Batgirl slash Huntress Podcast. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And the first thing I want to talk about is the very first thing in the issue. I know I'm a simpleton, but the first thing I want to talk about is Electra, specifically Electra's journey. Up till now, there's actually been surprisingly little displayed as far as Electra's past and even less connective tissue from where she met Matt in college to where she became a super assassin. As Miller is reaching the conclusion of his run, he's giving us a lot more input as far as the beginning of his run, which did begin, in terms of his writing at least, with Elektra's arrival. And he would expand upon this even more in the miniseries Elektra Assassin, which was eight issues. That was a couple of years away from the time that this issue was published. And Elektra Assassin is one of those sticky subjects where it is, in some people's eyes, canonical. In other people's eyes, it is not. And I tend to stand with the canonical nature, but I don't feel strongly enough about the canonical nature to really get into a debate because that's not the hill I want to die on. Having said that, Elektra is a fascinating character, and the more I've done this podcast, the more she has grown on me. When I first began this podcast, Elektra's story was solely contained in this particular run, and anything beyond that, her own ongoing series or miniseries, etc., were at best non-canon or at worst blasphemy, but now I've seen a little bit more potential in the character, and I think Miller really created something special, and it needed to be explored beyond this run. 
to speak a little bit on Electra Assassin, and that's something I may cover down the road. It's kind of a tricky one, just the stream of consciousness storytelling within it makes it hard to cover. So I don't know if I am going to cover it. I want to, but I don't know if it's possible, so I don't want to get too deeply into it and spoil that. But Electra Assassin opens with her mother's death, and that begins with Electra's pregnant mother and her father on a boat. There is an attack by gun-toting helicopters that's intended to kill both of them, but Electra's father does live, and Electra is born. As her mother's death rattle comes out, her baby's cries begin. So Electra's birth is married to tragedy right out of the gate. And of course, that leaves her with a single father, who is her sole parent, who is her world, and who sets out to protect her. We learn that because of this, because of the political unrest in Greece... Her father has her train with the sensei we see in this story, so this is something that began in childhood. This is much like a stick figure to her originally, at least if we're drawing a parallel from a young Electra and a young Matt stature, and of course Stick would be involved in both of their lives, but we'll get to that in just a minute. And the fact that she's born from tragedy sets the stage for Electra's life. Her very name is a play on Electra, which was spelled with a C instead of a K, and was all about Electra and her brother avenging the murder of her father Agamemnon. Her brother would go on to a terrible fate as the Furies would tear him apart, but it's still just something that is a little too on the nose. I don't think I would name my child that, especially given the nature of her birth, but it sets the stage for great fiction. Despite that, Electra lives, I wouldn't call it a normal life, but a realistic life. She's not tainted yet. She doesn't get tainted until we see her in Daredevil number 168, which is where she visited college, trying to have that quote-unquote normal life. That's where we run into some weird opposition between the Man Without Fear depiction of Matt and Electra's relationship and the Daredevil number 168 version. In the Man Without Fear version, Electra is already bat crazy. She's driving a convertible in falling snow, like heavy falling snow, but that, and she taunts Matt into her car and then jumps off a cliff just to mess with him. And we see her going out at night provoking fights so she can kill. So Electra is already a little bit demented in that telling, and that kind of contradicts what we see in Daredevil number 168. It also takes away from what happens after Daredevil number 168, the connective tissue itself. If Electra is already this damaged killer, then she doesn't really have much of a fall from grace, does she? Much like Electra said, a man without fear has become less and less canonical over the years, keeping a few stray bits here and there, but primarily going back to the original origin of Daredevil. Either way, both end up at the same place, with a failure. Matt fails to save Electra's father, and that leads Electra to walk out on Matt and walk out on regular life and seek out something different, which is where we find her at the beginning of this particular issue. She's seeking to make a difference in the world, and why she chooses this path we're not really clear. How she even knew about it, that's up in the air at the moment. But she did find this unscalable rock wall, which is the very beginning of this issue. And that is the very first test for anybody wanting to train with the chaste. If you cannot climb the wall, you cannot be a part of it. And it is extremely heavy symbolism that we see this, and I use that pun intentionally. Electra can't climb the wall. She has too much on her shoulders, literally and figuratively, to make it up that wall. She is unwilling or unable to let loose of the things that are dragging her down, because those are also the things that are driving her need to make that climb and be part of the chase. And of course, she fails. She falls in the snow, and this should have been the end of that particular saga. She might have turned around and gone home, and who knows what would have happened. But Stone happens to be out hunting, and I get that because he's carrying a freaking deer on his back, and he finds Electra, and he takes her in. And there's a lot of opposition to Electra's presence in the Chaste's compound. And rightfully so, she did not pass the very first test. And yet Stick says, no, she'll train with us, we'll keep her. Who knows why? But we will. 
And chronologically, this has happened after Matt Murdock, which is where the Man Without Fear comes back into canonical nature. The idea that Stick was training him to be a part of the chase is still canonical. It's referenced directly multiple times, especially in the Brubaker era. So Stick has already had one pupil that didn't live up to the hype. He didn't become what Stick wanted him to be. He did not become part of the chase. And now we're going to take in another student who could not complete the very first task. And this can end only one way, which is badly. And it does. Electra trains for a year and she shows some aptitude to these martial arts. She's had some pre-training, but the extensive nature and the pure intensity of the training, she rises up to that particular challenge, but Stick rejects her. He tells her to leave after a year and doesn't really give her a reason why. And this becomes a moment of utter heartbreak for Electra. She is rejected. Her purpose is taken from her. But the thing I want to talk about is Stick's reaction when Stone says, well, the enemy, that being the hand, might recruit her. And Stick simply says, yeah, they might. My interpretation of this line and this exchange changes with each subsequent reading of this tale. On one level, it might be Stick saying, yeah, they might, but there's not a lot we can do about it. Just simply resigning himself to the fact that, yeah, that's a possibility. I'm prepared to accept that. On the other hand, it might be Stick not only acknowledging it, but kind of wanting it to happen. That he might be driving things in a certain direction and putting an ace in a hole. Could Stick have known that Elector would seek out the hand and try to infiltrate? Maybe. Could he have just been counting on Electra being part of that and something he can control, like a time bomb of sorts? That is a possibility as well, but we're not given that particular bit of information. But this heartbreak drives Electra to infiltrate the Hand, and her intentions are so good at the onset. But they go so badly, as the Hand is skilled at corrupting people and initiating them. There is a wonderful scene as Electra is talking to her sensei that begins with them cast against a big window with a yellow background and ends with Electra walking away and that background has become red. From the moment Electra has made that decision, her die has been cast. But we see the hand arrive and assumptively they're there to kill her and not recruit her, but she decides to take control of the situation. And for all the control Electra is attempting to put on it, it is nothing compared to what the Hand have prepared for her when they drop her in the pit and she kills her sensei. They have planned for this. Their ultimate goal is to corrupt her and they succeed immediately. And then what we see in Electra Assassin is that she is bathed in the milk of the beast, which is the demonic force that controls the Hand. And Electra ultimately becomes a part of the Hand. She doesn't go to infiltrate, she actually legitimately becomes one. Now, somewhere down the road, she decided to change directions and oppose them, but at one time, she was actually a fully functioning member. And then we see Matt cleansing her. Now, I don't know how this is supposed to work, if it's his love for her, his altruism coming over to her, but it ties together a certain theme, and that is the color red. When we see her leave her sensei, she's determined to join the hand, and the background is red. Meaning that, much like we saw in Empire Strikes Back, when Luke went into the cave to fight Darth Vader, what he thought was Vader, only to see himself... Electra's mind has been consumed with proving herself at any cost. Now, this also simulates her costume down the road, the red costume, but at the same time, the blood on the side when she kills her in Sensei shows that she is slowly becoming consumed by this. And it's the beginning of her absolute corruption. And that ties back to Daredevil wearing the color red, attempting to cleanse her. It is through this color scheme that we learn that there is a certain element of Electra in Matt, that whole consumption idea. Both, of course, were motivated by the death of their father to go two different directions. Electra goes to supplant the chaste by joining the hand. Matt goes to supplant the law by being a vigilante. Jansen is actually to credit for this because it does tie together this theme in visual form. 
that there is a connection between these two. And of course, blood is going to be a part of it. Jack Murdoch's blood, the blood of Electra's father, and the blood between them, life. And the way that life can sometimes take control of us and direct us in ways that we're not expecting. And of course, this leads to the ending where Electra's body is missing and we have this scene where she finally makes the climb, having been freed from all the burdens we saw her carrying at the beginning of the issue. And the ending itself has come up against many, many debates. Is Electra alive? Is she actually back from the dead? Or is this just something symbolic? The interpretation that she lives and she's in that white chaste uniform comes to play down the road. But the idea that she's dead and this is something where she is actually able to move on is a little bit more palatable to me. As far as the writer himself, Frank Miller says Electra is dead. She is absolutely dead. There is no doubt. There is nothing beyond this that is Electra-centered that is canonical. But let's be honest, the fact that Electra keeps popping up in both Daredevil comics, her own ongoing series, does indicate to some extent that Miller is incorrect. And Miller doesn't necessarily have the right, after this point, to dictate what is continuity within Marvel Comics. It's their toys. But I want to piggyback off of this idea, because the Electra bit is absolutely beautiful. Let's talk about Matt. And Matt completely fails this issue. But that's okay, because Electra has been a symbolism of Matt's failure. If we go back to Daredevil number 168, Electra was Matt's first failure. She predates Jack Murdoch's death. He failed to save her father despite his best efforts, and for that he lost the woman he loved. That's also really the first time Matt ever took action. He put on the scarf that was meant for Electra and became a proto-Daredevil for the very first time and failed. So Electra disappears from Matt's life, she shows back up, and she's a killer. So that's adding more to the failure that he created this to some extent. He helped create it at least. The girl he saw as his greatest love is now a killer, which when Electra shows up in modern day, yeah, they fight side by side to some extent, but they're definitely opposition. And of course, that begins this roller coaster of Matt's soul going through the ringer that he caused Electra to become this to some extent, that he had a hand in that, no pun intended. And then we jump to Daredevil number 181 where Electra dies. Matt had saved Bullseye, we know that. Bullseye was alive only because Matt allowed him to be. Matt saved Bullseye from a situation of Bullseye's own creation. Had Bullseye perished there, this would not have been on Matt. It was purely circumstantial and Matt went out of his way to save Bullseye, which of course led to the death of Electra. So Electra ends up paying for Matt's sin, for his weakness, for allowing a Bullseye to live, instead of reaping what he sowed. So we end up with this avalanche of failure on Matt's conscience, which is not something he deals with easily, especially when the results are fatal, both the blood on Electra's side and her own blood at Bullseye's hands. That's on Matt, at least from his perspective. What Matt fails to take into account is that Electra had choices. Yes, she had circumstances that dictated where she was, but she could choose how she wanted to move on. And the opening of this issue shows that a, basically Electra made bad choices. And that's not really on Matt. Also in the fray, and not really known to Matt, or even to Electra, they have a connective tissue in Stick. Stick rejected Matt, and Matt became Daredevil. Stick rejected Electra, and she became what she became. Again, coming back to the choices that we make. Now, if Stick was out to set up a franchise of superhero ninja people, well, he didn't really do a great job, did he? There's a lot of motivation within Stick that isn't really clear. Why would he choose a blind kid from Hell's Kitchen to train? Why would he choose a corrupted girl from Greece to train? And that kind of calls into question sort of the nature of the chase, how they were found, how they were recruited, how they were built. But let me talk about how Matt fails this issue. He shows up at the graveyard, and Matt is so antsy he wants to move immediately as soon as they're pulling the casket out. I also wonder if Matt was like, hey guys, I was just here, I did the same thing but I'm not going to beat that dead horse any longer. We're well past that. But for Matt, this is very, very personal. 
He's out to stop further corruption of Elector that he himself feels that he started, and he's not making the best of choices. Once again, calling back to the idea that we have ways to react to things. They're good ways, they're bad ways, there are desperate ways, and we're going to get to those desperate ways in just a moment. And when they fail, Matt's just glad that they're alive. He's telling Stone, hey, we made it thanks to my super spy ex-girlfriend, which, when you think about it, means Matt is using one ex-girlfriend to help rescue the corpse of another ex-girlfriend. That's more than a little twisted, people. The thing is, Matt's focus is so on this personal quest that it's damaging. Could he have done a better job if his focus was on the surroundings? Because the hand comes springing out of these graves, they're hidden. But couldn't Matt hear their heartbeats? Couldn't Matt sense something off if he had been paying attention and not focused on the corpse of his ex-girlfriend? If Matt had been in tune with things, if he had been the full-on daredevil, we would have had a completely different outcome to this fight. At least potentially. I mean, they were outnumbered, but they would have known that and they would have stopped the ambush just shortly after it happened. Or at least they could plan to move around it. Any number of things if Matt had been paying attention. And then when we get to the church, Matt is completely out of the fight. Stone and the Black Widow are doing their best and they're not doing great against this great number of ninjas. And where is Matt? Matt is over with Electra's body, having sensed a heartbeat and he's trying his best to channel this energy and revive her. If he can resurrect Electra, then his failure is cleansed. He is redeemed and she can be redeemed in return. If Matt is able to revive Electra, then his failure to save her, her death, is now erased and he has one less thing on his soul. And that is the soul focus, no pun intended, of Matt. He desperately wants Electra to be alive or to rest in peace, but he sees that potential to erase one red mark in his ledger. And that may cost them the day if Kingpin's men hadn't shown up. Because, you know, this is a Kobayashi Maru. Let's get down to it. Matt is a bad teammate here because he's not supporting the two people who are supporting him. But this is a Kobayashi Maru. There is no winning in this scenario. There never was going to be a win. When you come down to it, Matt needs to try to undo the past. But if he undoes the past, he's resurrecting Electra, which is what the hand is after anyway. There's no logic to this. Add to that that Matt is going to make a Faustian deal with Kingpin. And his allies might die, but Electra would live. That's twisted logic, so he has to make a choice here. My soul or their soul? If Matt had managed to resurrect Electra and Stone and a Black Widow had died, is that going to be really trading anything great? No. Matt makes a bad call here. And we see Matt failing because he's trying to erase a past failure. He cannot let things go. And since I brought it up, let's talk about the deal Matt makes with the Kingpin. Kingpin is in a weird spot because he's got this mutiny forming, primarily because of the situation with Vanessa that's brought up a time and time again that he's spending a lot of time observing his convalescent wife. So now the criminal underworld is kind of seeing the soft side of Kingpin, his soft underbelly where they can strike. And also, let's add some recent failures to that. We have the mayoral campaign of Randolph Cherry that failed thanks to Daredevil, and because Vanessa was found, that was the main thing. Daredevil used Vanessa as leverage. And then recently we had the isotope theft that was stopped cold by Daredevil himself. So Injun Joe, once again, that's just the name from the comic. I don't condone it. I don't like it, but that's the name. He sees a chance to do a full-on mutiny. There are cracks in the armor and he can take control. This was something that would not be thought of prior to all of this. So Kingpin's in a bad place and Daredevil's in a worse place. He's so desperate, he's going to go up to his worst enemy, the man who orchestrated the death of Elektra, in order to find the hand. And of course, nothing with the Kingpin is going to come for free. We're going to have this Faustian deal. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Both of us get something we want. For Kingpin, it's the filling of an absence, at least briefly, for his main enforcer, which Bullseye and Elektra had both held for a bit. 
And it's also the idea that this is a personal victory. Not only does he get that enforcer briefly, not only does he stomp down a mutiny, Daredevil is working for him, at least briefly. Daredevil is serving the Kingpin in order to get to the hand, to get to Elektra. His focus is not there. The Kingpin is granted a victory. In fact, it pains me to say it, but I think the Kingpin ends up being the MVP of this issue. He saves the day, He we ha- and we have a scene of gangsters versus ninjas, which is great, but he saves the day. He saves Daredevil. And we get a really unique take on the villain-superhero dynamic. The idea that the ecosystem of New York and the crime there is based on heroes and villains. Even though Daredevil might score small victories or moderate victories, it still ends up benefiting the Kingpin. Kingpin represents something for Daredevil to fight, a reason for him to go on. And for Kingpin, we have Daredevil who is a common enemy, something he can unite all of his people under. It's how Kingpin maintains control, that common enemy. This is a fly that bothers us. We should all band together to fight the fly. That way we can all share the ointment. And the thing is, there is a little bit of a lasting effect from the Miller run introducing Kingpin in. There is this... Not respect, per se, but an agreement that these two must fight each other, that they are the best enemies that bring the best out of each other. For Kingpin, it's becoming a better criminal, a more creative criminal, and finding ways to defeat the trappings of superheroes opposing him. For Daredevil, it's finding new ways to fight evil, and new evils, and what the face of evil looks like. This also locks Kingpin into being a Daredevil villain from now on. We also have the Hand. Now, they are defeated in this, but not without sacrifice, because we lose Stone, the very last of the Chaste. The Chaste is no more. This is a group of people who have opposed the Hand for years and years and years. The only defense against the Hand's machinations. Last issue, we saw the death of Stick and Shaft and Claw, and I'm not going to do the Shaft theme song again. But they fell, they died, they are no more. Stone is the last remnant of that, and he sacrifices his life presumptively to redeem Elektra. Which means to some extent, even though he's not aware of it, Matt's sin has been wiped clean. That's why we see Elektra in white at the end. You get the idea. But something that's been apparent since Stick made his return in the modern era is that the chaste is worn out. They are tired. They are weary. The fight has taken so much out of them over all this time that there's very little left in them. First off, it's extremely appropriate that Stone is the one that redeems Elektra and cleanses her. He was the one that found her. He's the one that took her in. And then he became somebody who believed in Elektra. He's the one opposing Stick when Stick says the girl's gotta go. But I think ultimately what drives Stone's decision is that he sees a new generation of heroes that weren't there when the Chaste started their crusade. What he sees is new potential in Matt, in Natasha, even in Elektra to some extent. A new world that the Hand has to face now that the revelation has been made that these people exist. For a long time they were like Kaiser Soze, legendary but nobody believed in it. Now we know. And now somebody like Daredevil or Spider-Man or Wolverine can oppose them. So even though initially it looks like the hand will go unchecked in a world without the chaste, Stone knows better. He sees a potential that Stick didn't. My read of Stone's decision is that he saw that the old ways really didn't accomplish that much. They were rigid, they were strict, but they weren't completely effective. The hand is still there and the hand continues to grow as the chaste were withering away and dying off. So with Stone's sacrifice, there's a bit of a positive note that he sees that the new ways can be potentially used to defeat this enemy. There's not a lot of time spent on it, but this is the end of an age. An epic finale to the old ways, one final battle, and the beginning of a new generation to oppose this evil that is ancient. And there's a lesson that Stone learns in that moment when he makes the decision that Matt completely misses. And that's the idea of letting go of the past. To let it go, to let the new day dawn. 
No matter what failures have come before, there's new ways to fight, and new reasons to fight, really. And it's okay sometimes to just let go and let it happen. Let time be its own friend and let it play out in the way that it should, in new ways, in unexpected ways, and possibly more effective ways. The idea of Stone's sacrifice, that he is weary, that the old ways weren't working, and that he's willing to let go, is beautiful. And it's so underplayed that it can easily go unnoticed, but Stone is the hero of this particular story. He's the one that realizes that the hand is going to use Electra. Now, how he did that? Don't know. Just last episode, he was in his meditation, realized they're going to use Electra, and that's where we got here. He's the one that leads the charge, and he's the one that realizes, hey, this isn't working anymore. We need something different, and I see that different right in front of my face. He's willing to let the legacy live for itself, which is beautiful, and I think that's so understated, and I wanted to really underscore that as much as I could. So the Hand lost their old enemies, but they have new enemies, and that is Daredevil. That is Wolverine, as we'll see down the road. That is many other people. And the Hand is a great new enemy added to the Marvel Universe. But let's bring this in for the final verdict on Daredevil number 190. This is one big finale. Now, next episode is going to be a bit of a one-off personal story about Daredevil. But in this, we have all our storylines coming to an end. We have The Hand and Elektra and Kingpin coming to a conclusion all together, and it's pretty well balanced on that front. What Miller does that other writers don't, and what Miller down the road will not, is leave things open. So the next writer can kind of swoop right in after Miller and take over, and there's not a whole lot of up-in-the-air or problematic story threads to pick up from. Look at somebody like Bendis, who ended his run with Daredevil in prison, or Charles Soule, where he almost killed Daredevil. I like that this issue once again calls back to Miller's first issue with Elektra, that that becomes the bookends for this series, and that we see a form of redemption for Elektra, whether that is her being resurrected or her entering the afterlife with a clean soul. I think Miller sticks the landing on that particular aspect of Daredevil and kind of redeems the treatment that Elektra had, because now we're not seeing her motivate Matt, we're just seeing her be redeemed. Now this issue is also a double-sized issue which I think wasn't quite justified. I think most of that is because of the Electra material, and I think this sort of flashback, or whatever you want to call it, could have been interspersed between the last few issues. And I think that would have led up to a very satisfying conclusion where you see Electra trying to climb this wall and failing, and it's just kind of an interspersed idea, and then leads to something complete here. That's a woulda, shoulda, coulda, but I don't get paid for that, so Miller, you know, he got a paycheck and I didn't. I also think the stakes were good here. We had the hand doing something incredibly evil. If they won, we're dealing with world-altering stakes, and I think that worked. This also had a personal stake in a whole Electra thing that was maybe overplayed a bit. And as mentioned, my favorite part of this is Stone's arc, that he had this final sacrifice to redeem and set up a whole new generation to oppose his enemy. Likewise, the Kingpin explaining the power struggle between superheroes and villains was quite inspired and quite meta for a time frame where this wasn't really the regular state of things to distate these things. So the question is, did I enjoy this issue? Yeah. So the main question is, do I like this issue? Did I enjoy it? And the answer is yes. The overall plot was a little bit thin and a little bit unfocused on first blush, but when you reread it, man, there's a lot of depth here. There's a lot that Miller's putting together. And I feel like this is a satisfying finale to a run that has done a lot of good for Daredevil. So yeah, I think overall, I really, really like issue number 190. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, and I'm glad to have it under our belt. But of course, that brings us to the end of another episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Next time, Bullseye comes back, sort of. But we're going to explore Matt Murdock and his psyche, which is still a mess. And we're also going to see the effects of Daredevil and the idea of a superhero and what it does to a community. That is in one week. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. 
You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists for entertainment purposes only. When you hear his name